Hey, thanks for listening to the NIL Show, a Campus Inc. production. You can catch us on YouTube, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and on a campus near you. If you're out there interested in being a guest or having an NIL store for your campus merch, find us on any social channel or email. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the NIL Show. I'm Adam. There's Sean. Steven will be joining us soon. We are also joined by, I think we just realized, our first ever repeat guest, the the unique distinction. Mitt Winter, uh, Mitt, are, are you like officially a Twitter influencer now and an IRL <laughs> expert in NIL law? I mean, I, I feel like you're the de facto go-to for all the stuff going on these days. Uh myself a twitter influencer because i don't have any NFL <laughs> deals yet if you guys want to hook me up with one you know, maybe i have to call myself a twitter influencer but until that time comes i'll just say i'm a uh, twitter college sports legal nil commentator i love it i love it yeah i got it i guess that begs the question of what defines an influencer right do you, do you have to get a brand deal to cross that uh nomenclature who knows but um definitely one of one of our favorite follows friend of the pod um we're really excited to have you back Mitt. the last time we chatted it was you know you can go back and listen to the episode but it's pretty early on things were still pretty up in the air um we're over a year since the last time you've been on and um i feel like i can say the same thing things are still <laughs> up in the air it's a little crazy lots lots of things going on how how have have you kind of navigated the last uh, year? Has it been been good for you? Stressful? No, it's it's been good. Um, you know, kind of as you touched on, there's in that I can't believe it's been a year since I was on last with you guys. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's been that long. That time has flown, um, but I think that's just because there has been so much going on in the NIL space and the college sports space in general. Um, there's you know, a lot to keep up on, not just with the the changing NCAA NIL guidelines, but then there are a lot of lawsuits going on out there, lots of other just, you know, college sports, uh, legal issues at play. Um, and so there's, you know, like you touched on, there's a lot, lots to keep track of right now. Uh, but to me, that, that makes it fun and interesting. Um, it's not a situation where things are just completely static all the time and you, you go in, you know, what, what your day is going to be like every day, you know, with, with the changes and all the different things to keep up, keep up on. I think it, it makes things fun and interesting. You know, some people probably don't agree with that. Um, especially if you're working at a school, maybe you would prefer <laughs> yeah. to be a little more static and, and consistent. Uh, but from, from my perspective and someone who likes thinking about these things and reading about them and commenting on them and keeping up on them. I think it's been a fun past year. Yeah. F- fun and interesting is relative, right? Like what, what, yeah. what you define as, as fun and interesting. Right. Well, I, I'm just curious. I mean, obviously again, been, been a uh, uh, friend of the pod for a while, really grateful for, um, you know, you covering uh, a lot of stuff that happens across the industry. We've come to uh uh, come to have a keen affection for for mid around here. So like, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's it's insane trying to balance all the things that are going on. And then, you know, we all have uh, 
we all have lives outside of college sports as well. I think that's something for everybody to, re to, to remember. Um, this is not life and death. Um, how's, how's the last year been, been for you? What's going on in midwinter's world? Oh, it's been good. You know, uh, very busy, you know, with work, but then also I have, uh, four kids right now. So they're playing a lot of sports. So, and that, you know, keeps me busy, especially on the weekends and the, and the nights after I get home, running everybody to practices stuff. I'm not coaching anymore. Last, this past summer was like the last time I, I'm going to coach. I was co I've been coaching basketball for since my oldest son was in kindergarten. I was a freshman in high school. I coached kind of the same team that whole time. That's ended now that they're in high school, which has given me a little more time back in my life. I don't have to think about what we're going to do at practice a few nights a week and then get ready for the games on the weekends and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been nice just to go and sit and watch games and, and not have to think about what's going to happen before the game and during the game. And then after the game, even though it's kids basketball, you still, you know, you get invested in it and you think about what you could have done better when you're coaching and stuff like that. So it's been uh, a little get, less get to be stress is not the right word, but I don't know, just uh, less brain time being used on that kind of stuff. Yeah, for for those that don't know Mitt's background, Mitt played college basketball at William & Mary. Um, I'm curious, is, is it more stressful at, when you were a player playing or when you're watching as a parent from the stands? Which one's, which one's tougher? Uh, they're, they're different. So as a player, you know, you get nervous before most games. I think most, most players will tell you that no, no matter how long they've been playing their sport, and even if it's, you know, like a, a rec league basketball game when you're an adult, you still get kind of those butterflies in your stomach before the game. But then once the game starts, those go away. You're just, you're in the flow of the game. You're not, you know, the nervousness is gone. As a parent watching your kid play, um, it's different because you're not necessarily nervous before the game, but then watching, um, you can get, well, a little, I don't know, nervous isn't the right word, but sometimes... Yeah. Uh, I don't know, aggravated watching them, like wishing they would have done something better or, you know, if they miss an easy shot. But I think I've developed over the years a pretty good job of trying to just uh, sit back and watch and enjoy them playing. And if you try and get, if you get a little too invested in stuff, it, it just, uh, it can go bad for you and bad, bad for the kids as well. So I just kind of got to the point where I just like to, I try and sit away from the other parents as far as possible. So I don't hear their chatter and whatever they're talking about. And I can just kind of sit there and watch. It's kind of my strategy. My, my dad, my dad growing up was legendary for sitting on the opposite side of, <laughs> of whatever stadium as far up as he could. He was like, I don't want to hear it. Just let me watch the game. Uh, that's, that's awesome. I love it. Yep. What's your, what's your process? Uh, I, I'm so curious about this and, and I don't want to get you to give away all your trade secrets on how you uh, find all your news and, and how you go about it. But what is your process from a, on a day-to-day -day basis? Because you are one of the most active, if not the most active person on social media, um, constantly giving your takes on things, um, constantly sharing news in the NIL world. What is your day-to-day -day process? How do you keep up with all of it? And how do I, I Obviously, it's important to stay informed, but there's so much information out there. Um, I, I'm so curious how the heck you do it. Yeah, I mean, there's like you said, there's a ton of information 
I just kind of have certain periods throughout the day where I'll like go and check the news. Um, you know, obviously look at Twitter, but then I have a few kind of go-to resources that do a pretty good job of aggregating some some news and articles on things. So I'll kind of scan through those and if this one sounds interesting, I'll click on it and read it. And then kind of just, I make I make a point of when I read something and I find it interesting and I think other people might find it interesting, I just comment on it. Instead of just mm-hmm. reading it and kind of keeping my thoughts in my head, I'll just throw those thoughts out on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, I think number one, it's just a good way to engage with other people. Um, and then other people are probably kind of having those similar thoughts as well. And so they see that and then they, they engage with you. Um, so that, that's kind of my, my process, you know, in the morning, I'll try and check out the news, maybe around lunchtime, sometimes before I head home. And then I try not to do this as much, but if I'm laying in bed, my wife might be watching a TV show. I don't want to watch some reality show, something like that. I'll <laughs> check out what's going on at that time of the day as well. So just kind of try and be consistent with it and throw my thoughts out there. Are you getting recognized yet? Uh, I don't know. It depends on, on recognized for what and <laughs> who you're talking to. Some people right, probably, right. some people probably think I'm like, have these crazy ideas about college sports and, and where things might be going. Um, some people probably agree with me. Um, but like as a lawyer, I've I've gotten some recognition among you know some different lists. Like I mean, the power list for Missouri and um, super lawyers and stuff like that. So it's kind of nice. I'm talking about on the streets, Matt. Are people yeah, recognizing no. you on the streets yet? <laughs> Nobody, uh, nobody's flagging you down. You can't see the whispers. Like that's Mitt Winter. That's Mitt Winter over there. No, <laughs> some it. of the sports lawyers association conferences I go to, there will be people yeah. saying, "Hey, I know you from Twitter," which it's kind of weird. But you're like, can you nice, per, nice can you actually know me from from my cases instead? I'd, I'd much much prefer that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Mitt, there's there's a lot going on. I I, I want to get into it. Um, we can maybe start with with some of the most recent ones, and then then I want to want to walk some things back a little bit uh, in terms of maybe just kind of updating the listener listeners on on where certain legislation is. But one of the most recent ones is um, just this week. Judge granted Oregon State and Washington State their their preliminary injunction, basically, in regards to the Pac-12. Um, this kind of started. I'll give the layman's background, but this kind of started because uh, if you're a member of a conference and you announce that you're leaving as it relates to the Pac-12, you basically um, forfeit your right to sit on the board and and be a member of that conference at the moment of your announcement, um, which. For one or two schools, maybe not a big deal, but when all of a sudden it becomes 90% of the conference, um, you effectively turn over control to the remaining two schools, which can create some maybe conflict of interest in how uh, the resources and assets are then divided amongst the two remaining schools. Um, judge just ruled in favor of Oregon State and Washington State saying, yep, no, you, you're the only two remaining official members uh, of this conference. You get to decide how these assets are divided up. Um, what What do you think is going through those other ten schools' minds right now? Uh, they're probably not very happy right now. They've actually already filed an appeal with the Washington Supreme Court. They've asked the court to stay the entry of the preliminary injunction, so to keep things the way they have been, 
under the, the TRO that was previously granted. So that means they're asking Washington Supreme Court to just kind of keep things the way they have been while they then appeal the issuance of the preliminary injunction because they think the court was wrong in giving Oregon State and Washington State the power to basically run the conference themselves. Uh, from their perspective, they're really worried that Oregon State and Washington State are going to take the revenue from this year that the departing schools think that they are entitled to because they're still members of the conference this year and use that money to do a number of things, you know, maybe entice some of the Mountain West schools to join. Uh, there was some news today that came out that, that now that they have the preliminary injunction, they're kind of moving forward with a scheduling alliance with the Mountain West to lead to a potential merger. Um, I think ultimately that one will end in some sort of settlement where Oregon State and Washington State agree that the departing schools will get a certain percentage of the 2023-2024 revenue. And then they'll say, okay, Oregon State, Washington State, you can do whatever you want uh, with the future revenues. You have control of the conference you know, from here on out. Just give us our revenue that we're due uh, for this year. I think that's ultimately where we'll get to and probably what makes the most sense. So uh, you don't you don't think they're uh, they're making a, a Washington State and Oregon State are making a, a quick cash grab to to kind of control those assets? You think they're probably saying, "Hey, let's uh, let's try to do the right thing here." I don't know. I don't know exactly what their plans are. I do know that when the judge entered the preliminary injunction, he he did say, "I expect everyone to be treated fairly, even though I've entered this preliminary injunction and you know kind of directed towards Oregon State and Washington State." If you if you do something that, you know, I perceive as being unfair to these 10 departing members, I'm going to have you guys come back back before me and we'll address that then. So I don't think they're going to do anything crazy and, and take take the revenues that are coming in this year and spend them all in some way that the 10 departing schools are not going to be happy with. So but we'll see that kind of. That kind of leads into another question for me, and, and this has to do with another another lawsuit, right? There there um, was a number of suits that were brought against the NCAA, and they it, correct me if I'm wrong, but they basically were brought all into one class action, right? Where uh, potentially the NCAA or, or or member schools of the NCAA could be responsible for you know upwards of 1.4 billion dollars of damages, um, which I would assume would you know effectively turn into some sort of like back pay type thing to student athletes help us kind of understand you know those are big numbers they're saying all oh, this is going to happen but probably not going to go to trial for a couple years number one and number two with all this conference realignment like what happens to schools that are maybe now in new conferences than they were when this stuff was going on are they responsible for those payments like what what What's the actual potential outcome here, aside from all just these crazy numbers and stuff getting thrown around? Yeah, I think you're talking about the House case. Yeah. Uh, House versus NCAA. Um, so that's an antitrust case that's really seeking two things. Number one, it, as you referred to, it's seeking back pay for the NIL money that athletes were not able to receive prior to July 1, 2021. And that goes from the date the case was filed in 2020 back four years because antitrust cases have a four-year statute of limitations. Um, and there are, there are three classes. There are 
Division One uh, men's basketball and FBS football players, Division One women's basketball players, and then a class of other sports. So there, and that's around because it is a class action now. It's around fourteen thousand current and former athletes in that class. And so when you add up the amount of NIL money, and that includes plaintiffs seeking NIL money that they say athletes would have been paid from the broadcast deals that conferences have with uh, media companies. So that makes the number a lot bigger. It gets into that billion dollar range, like you mentioned. And then in antitrust cases, damages are tripled. And so people have estimated the number 1.4 billion and then you triple that gets you up to 4.2 billion. So that's a potential damages number for the NCAA. And then the other defendants in the case are the power five conferences. Um, The other thing that the house is seeking, it's also seeking some forward looking remedies of eliminating the rules that prevent schools and conferences from directly paying NIL money to athletes. And so that could lead to basically revenue sharing, and that would be the the broadcast revenue money where conferences or schools could directly pay a portion of that to the athletes. So those are two really big issues facing the NCAA and the Power Five conferences. Number one, the the amount of damages at stake are huge. Um, Are they going to be able to pay $4 billion if they're hit with a judgment of that size? I don't know, but, um, but probably not. Um, so what happens there? And then forward-looking, if the conferences or schools can can revenue share the broadcast revenue with their athletes, that's a, a huge change from what you know college sports has been for such a long time and what the NCAA's rules are now. Okay, what's up? Can you guys hear me? Hey, how's it going? Can hear you great. I, yeah. I am the dumb one in the room. That's going to be me today. That makes uh, two of us. Okay, Sean. Uh, <laughs> You're not alone, Steven. I have some personal questions first. These are real. Okay. Real, real big personal questions. Oh, we got to get those out of the way. <laughs> uh, okay. Best NIL follow on Twitter, Mitt Winter, going on record. What role on a day-to-day basis, because like, I, I, I literally follow you to just like learn about everything that's going on, and you, have, um, you provide a lot of rationale. Explain it to me like I'm five a little bit. Um, are you actively on these cases? Like, have they called you yet? Like, I always ask Adam, like, why aren't you on Capitol Hill yet? What role are you playing in all of this, if you're allowed to say? Um, like, house case, I'm not involved in, that ho- in the house case at all. I've worked on similar cases to that in the past. Like, I worked on the O'Bannon case and the Alston case. Actually, on the uh, conference side, I was working for the conferences on those cases and I've worked on other cases. Um, no, but like most of the things I'm commenting on publicly, those are things that I'm not working on. So they're just things that for my, for my job, I need to keep track of for the other clients that I do represent because it affects the work I'm doing for them. Okay. So then my next question is like, have leg- have legislators or congressmen reached out to you? Like, you should be on Capitol Hill. Do you just choose not to give a, give us what's what's going on in Mitt Winter's DMs right now? Like that's that's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, I get all kinds of DMs, but it's 
these people just want to like talk about things offline mostly um i have not been approached by any legislators to be on a a uh, congressional hearing yet um i've kind of been involved in some i've been involved in some conversations about people that want to uh be in some of those hearings uh but no one has personally asked me to do that yet um if i was asked get on it well, Get on it, Capitol Hill. You you know that all of them are listening to this all the time, so I'm sure that after this, <laughs> right. they will definitely reach out. Dick Durbin, our senator from from Illinois, uh, uh, you you hear Mitt here, but like, does it ever pain you to listen to those hearings? Like, I get flustered hearing them. I know Adam, like, we gotta put like, gotta gotta make sure he's okay the next day. How are you? <laughs> how are you like? Yeah, what do you when you see this happening? Like, how do you feel? Like, do you, I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I don't go into those hearings with very high expectations, just based on how many there have been and what how they've all gone. Um, you pretty much know that a lot of the people that are the witnesses in those hearings and the the Congress men and women don't necessarily have a very good grasp of what is actually happening in the real NIL market. Um, some do. Like, finally, there was someone from a collective on the last one, Walker Jones. So he hasn't seen those That's really right. well, how NIL works and what's going on out in the NIL world. Um, but a lot of the other people, even some of the former athletes that they have on, on those panels, it's been such a long time since they've played and they don't work in the space. I, I don't see why they even end up on those panels. Um, and then I think even, you know, last time you had president of the NCAA, Charlie Baker and big 10 commissioner, you know, they're, they're so focused on like bigger and big picture issues. They don't really get down in the weeds of what's going on in the, the ground level NIL market as well. So I think that's kind of what has been missing from a lot of these hearings, um, are the people that are, you know, even people like you, you know what goes on. You, you guys I sell t-shirts, facilitate NIL deals all the time, talk to schools, talk to athletes. And that's, that's kind of what has been missing from these hearings. So at this point, I don't really get too worked up at some of the stuff that's said at these hearings or not said. Um, just cause I, I understand how they're going to go. Um, the one, the one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize about these hearings, although, and I think it's kind of shifted over time, although they're, the title is really NIL and they say they're going to talk about NIL, it's so much more than NIL now. NIL is kind of being used as, in my opinion, the Trojan horse by the NCA and others to get these bills passed that go way beyond NIL and will have a huge effect on what college sports is in the future kind of trying to mold it in the way they want to because the really important things that are in these bills now is can the athletes be employees and um, is there going to be an antitrust exemption for the NCAA those are the things that they really really want I think they it would be nice in their opinion if they could get some of the NIL stuff passed as well but Though that issue kind of pales in comparison to the employment issue and the antitrust issue. I think a lot of people 
have not really caught on to that yet. And when they I, pick those, sorry, Adam, when they pick those people on the panel, is that just like people saying like, who's going to say the right things for us? I mean, it's, it's just totally like, it just kind of feels like BS. I don't know. I, I, this is why I don't get involved in politics, but <laughs> yeah, I think that's some of it. Um, obviously there's lobbyists that are involved in this. And so I think legislators are being lobbied. And so they want to find someone that will be on, on the panel that kind of adheres to what, what the lobbyist is, is telling them that they want. Um, and then on the other side, you'll have like Ramogi Huma has been on there. Um, so, you know, there's obviously there's Democrats and Republicans on these uh, committees. And so I don't know the exact process of how they pick witnesses, but you know, they obviously the Republicans get some Democrats get some. So that's kind of how you end up, end up with the mix of people on there. Um, but I think it's also an issue of the, the people that are putting people on the witness panel don't necessarily know who to reach out to to get the best people on those panels as well. So I think that's probably another issue. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. And I, I don't want to like breeze past what you just said is a lot of these legislation, a lot of these bills, a lot of this, the, the topics of conversation that are folded under NIL actually have little to nothing to do with NIL. You know, we're talking about yeah. NLRB stuff. We're talking about unionization. That, that's employment status. That has nothing to do with use or ability to monetize your name, image, and likeness. Those, those two things are essentially in like different worlds. And yeah. Michelle Meyer talked about this a little bit recently in, in a, an article where she's like, we got to stop calling collective payments like NIL. Like that's, that's not, that's not really the true heart of leveraging your name, image, and likeness. And, you know, I think we see some similar things with what's going on with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh right now. Like there's, there's an issue of competition that's happening, but the arbitrators of the decision are a former politician and a former media rights executive. And do I think that they're the only ones that are making the decision on these? No, they have, of course, a lot of people weighing in. But when you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail, right? So when you're asking these people who, who their entire perspective is on politics or media rights or, you know, employment to weigh in on competition rules or weigh in on the nitty gritty of brand deals, you're really asking them to, to do something that quite frankly, they maybe don't have all of the ability or contextual knowledge to really understand what needs to be done. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of a scary, Mitt, <laughs> scary, we scary get, prospect. So like we talked yeah, to, I mean, you know, we haven't, go, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I was gonna say that that's a good point. And that's why I don't think there's going to be an NIL bill or a college sports athletics bill for that matter that gets passed. Loose right because we just discussed, these aren't just NIL bills. They throw in so many other issues that are partisan issues. If you just had a pretty basic NIL bill, and there, there's been one proposed by Senator Murphy and Trahan, I think. Uh, I think something like that would have a better chance of passing. 
but all these other bills, they have so many other different issues that are thrown in there that there's just not agreement. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see the chances of passage. Being- so do, do you ever worry? So we talk to, you know, we have investors and the number one question they always ask is, what's going to happen when Congress does something about this? Is your business going to go away because of it? Is this going to impact you, right? Like, how much worry do you, like, in the state that NIL is today, how much worry do you have that Congress could slide something then that could really be detrimental or several steps backwards? Like, are, are, you, are you very concerned about that or scared about it? Like, how, how do you feel from a confidence standpoint? No, I don't think with what, what you guys are doing, which is, you know, what, people, what everyone envisioned when NIL became a thing. You're, you're doing licensing deals with athletes for apparel, generally. And I don't think any NIL bill that gets passed is going to have any large effect on that and make anything like that go away. You know, it could have some small effect on it. Let's say there's a NIL bill that's passed that preempts all the different state NIL laws we have right now. Um, that could have like a small effect on how you guys operate because based on the athletes you're working with, you might have to have a little knowledge of what their state NIL law says if they're in a state that has a state NIL law. So you might have to adhere to that. Um, so I think that's kind of really the only way it would affect you guys. I don't think there's any way that a federal NIL bill or law would, would end the stuff that you're doing. I think the type of NIL, and this goes to Adam's point he just talked about earlier, the type of NIL that a lot of these NIL bills are targeted at is uh, the type of NIL deals that collectives are entering into with athletes. And I think the NCAA and some of the conference commissioners have become a little more public in their criticism of collectives and a little more open with their thoughts on how they would like to basically get rid of collectives because they feel like it's moving, you know, the center of gravity for the athletics department a little bit outside of the schools, which they don't like. Um, and so if they're, if those bills are targeting any type of NIL, if we're going to call that NIL, that's what they're targeting. In my Great. So there's, you know, uh, we can clip this guys and put it on our pitch deck. Thank you. <laughs> that's what I needed. Podcast is over. So that's uh, your investors. Yeah, so- <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, no, but it's, I mean, that's what people, I mean, that, that's real. And so I guess we don't have to worry that there's going to be a group license agreement to limit. I can't say a hundred percent. So don't, don't hold me to that. But yeah. <laughs> that's or, uh, or uh, Congress is going to, going to give uh, the, is going to give fanatics exclusive rights to every athlete. Okay. Yeah. So I think we're, I think we're okay. All right. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. But okay, so um, you, it was just announced like athletes.org that you're on the board, um, which is pretty awesome. Could you, and, and you know, Jim Caval is a, a friend and, and has been a, a source of wisdom and, and inspiration for us at Influencer and, and now doing this. Could you talk a little bit about what athletes.org and what you can say athletes.org is doing, what you're doing with them? Because I think as I'm hearing this, like if Congress is going to do their thing, it sounds like there's a select number of people that are going to try to make a difference. And um, that's kind of how it feels. So yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Athletes.org, it's a nonprofit organization. It's really, really formed to do three things. Number one, provide athletes, college athletes with knowledge. So 
on that piece, it's going to provide them with free legal counsel if they need legal counsel to help them review an NIL deal, um, access to financial advisors, access to um, doctors that can provide them with second opinions on medical issues. Uh, so that's the knowledge piece. And then another important part is the voice piece. So there's never truly been an independent organization where college athletes can get together and sort of talk about their opinions on these big issues in college athletics that directly affect them. And it's important now with everyone sees there's going to be a lot of change coming in college athletics to have the athletes get together so they can voice their opinion on the direction the college athletics should go and, and some of these issues, whether that's employment, revenue sharing, unionization, they can just get together, form an opinion on those things, and then express that opinion. And the way that that's going to happen, um, the athletes are going to be grouped by uh, conference and sport. So the first chapter that's come out is ACC men's basketball and ACC women's basketball. So there's a lot of athletes in those sports from that conference that are signed up as members and their group of chapters where they can talk about issues that specifically affect them as ACC men's and women's basketball players. And then the third part of athletes.org, it's going to provide uh, athletes with some group licensing opportunities. Um, so there's a, there's a partner organization called Athletes Innovations Inc. that has an agreement with athletes.org that will basically serve as athletes.org's um, exclusive group licensing partner. And so once you have athletes.org with this, this mass of college athletes, um, it'll be potentially an easier way to manage some of the group licensing issues that currently exist in the space um, where it's sort of fractured, you know, a number of different companies kind of trying to do different things. So that's what athletes.org is. As you mentioned, I'm on the board of directors uh, with a bunch of other people that are, are doing different things in college sports space and you know, just the general athletics world. So we have a, a great board. Um, and then Jim Caval, as you mentioned, and Brandon Copeland are the co-founders. Brandon's the executive director. So he's kind of the one running the show day to day. Um, so I think it's just going to be a great organization for athletes to really, as I mentioned, get together and kind of voice their opinion out there on things. So when the class action or antitrust thing happens and they're in bankruptcy and default, we've got a new... New, new commissioners in town i'm just kidding <laughs> that's right uh sean what do you got well speaking of things in the current news i, I found this fascinating we're going to talk about lane kiffin for a second um right. i found this super fascinating because to me there was a big story and then there was an underlying story the big story that everybody saw was uh lane kiffin football coach at ole miss um he was uh there was a recording of him going around uh, presumably taken by a, a football player on his team who had stepped away for mental health reasons. Um, and it was really the, this, uh, the, the dialogue was a, a big debate over mental health, um, what role uh, the coach and the program plays in that and, and allowing the player to step aside or whether they still, still need to report to, uh, if the coach calls you to the office, do you need to be there? 
Um, and so what I thought was really interesting about this, that was the big story, the underlying story that I don't know would ever been, would ever would have been discussed years ago, uh, before NIL is, is a lot of people such as yourself met bringing up, um, that kind of sounds like they're an employee, uh, the way the, the, the coach is talking to that player. Can you touch on that a little bit and, and, and that situation? Yeah. So it kind of brings up the, just the overall employment question, which is being looked at in a couple of ways right now. You have the Johnson case, and then you have a couple of NLRB proceedings. And Kiffin's comments really hit on the exact point. So under the law, you're an employee if you meet these certain factors. And one of those big factors is uh, control. You know, how much does this entity that I don't want to say employ is employing you because you may may not be an employee, um, but this entity that you are part of, how much are they controlling you? Um, are they telling you what you need to do on a daily basis, where you need to be, when you need to be there, things like that? And so that's exactly what Kiffin was talking about. He was saying, you know, when your boss tells you you need to show up. You need to show up. You need to communicate with your boss. You don't just not show up to work. And he said work a number of times and boss a number of times. And so with college athletics, the big issue is the way that athletes are often treated meets the legal test for being an employee. And so a lot of people obviously don't want college athletes to be employees. And the way to really make that happen is to not treat them like an employee is treated so they don't meet the legal test for being an employee. And I think a lot of people haven't really thought that through. And I don't know, it's, it might be to the point where it's impossible for college athletics to change the way things have been for such a long time, how athletes are, are treated and how just how college athletics teams and programs work to what kind of walk it back where they have a lot more control over their, their day-to-day -day life where it's, you know, for lack of a better comparison, almost like a club sport more. Um, but to get out of that employment bucket, that's kind of what really would need to happen. To, to ensure that they're not employees. And that's kind of where the issue has come up. So much money is being generated now by college sports. Um, previously, when there wasn't as much money involved, people weren't really worried about it if they're being treated as employees. But now that there's so much money involved, they're like, hey, you're, you're treating them like this and you're making so much money and you're not sharing the money with them. So to make that happen, we're going to have to go to the court or the NLRB and get them declared to be employees. So you will share some of this revenue with them. And uh, I mean, as we like to say around here, the, the jelly's out of the donut, right? Nobody's, nobody's walking back the uh, time requirements that it takes to be an Ole Miss football player. They're, they're not going to say, you know what? This is optional going forward. Right. All good. Don't, don't sweat it. So it really seems yeah. like there's only one path forward essentially. Yeah. I think so. I, I think there's definitely, whether it's the Johnson case, the couple of the NLRB proceedings that are happening now or some future case, one of them is going to say that at least some college athletes 
our employees. And there might, you know, it might be a few years of appeals and, and things like that, but it's going to happen at some point. And I think college sports leaders and other people involved in college sports need to start planning for a world where that is the case. And I don't think that's really happened yet. So this is, you know, you, you talk about sports leaders. This is another interesting thing that just happened. I told you, man, it, it, it always is shaken up around here in NIL. It doesn't matter how many years <laughs> we're in it. But ASU athletic director recently stepped down and um, he retired uh, specifically because he said, look, there is, paraphrasing here, a storm a coming. And <laughs> I am not, you know, I, I have no desire to be at the till. Um during that storm, but more importantly, and I think this was a, a, a great demonstration of leadership from him. He's, he said, I lose my video. you need to have somebody here who can see this all the way through. Nope. You're still here. Yep. Okay. All good. So he said, you know, really importantly, you need to have somebody at the helm here who can see this all the way through. So do, do you think that that's going to be a trend of, uh, you know, maybe some athletics departments, because I, I think what you said is super important. Like, Look, the the time to fight the employment battle is over. It's now time to prepare for the, you know, inevitability of when that happens. Yeah, I do think there will probably be some more athletic directors and maybe other people working in, in college athletics that say, you know, with all these changes coming, it's not it's not what I signed up for, and it's not what I've been a model I've been working in for such a long time. And I'm already close to retirement or there are other things I would rather do. So I'm going to go into either pursue those other things or I'm just going to go ahead and retire. And I do think you see sort of a, a divide. And this is generalizing amongst athletic directors and other people involved in college athletics. They're on the younger side. They're definitely more open to some of the different ideas and changes that are coming. Whereas if they've been working in college athletics and under the, the model, it, that's been in place for, let's say they've been working for 50 years in college athletics, they're probably a little more resistant uh, to, to some of the changes that are probably coming. Mitt, if you were to, um, and then let's clip this. Mitt, do you have a hard stop? I just want to be conscious of your time. I don't, but I guess <laughs> Sean or Adam did it. <laughs> oh, well. I, well, yeah. I, we'll go a couple, we more, a minutes. couple more minutes. Yeah. Okay, right. cool. Are you good, Sean? Sorry about that. Uh, Mitt, what? What advice would you give to school? You've seen so many schools in the positions they've taken, progressive, kind of sitting on their heels. What advice would you give to schools right now that are listening to this, um, like in their NIL departments, licensing departments, athletic departments? Like, what what do you want to tell them? Um, from an NIL perspective, and I'm sure a lot of schools are aware of this, but the NCAA is considering some new NIL bylaws in January and also uh, some changes to their NIL guidelines, which are going to allow, or it looks like they're going to allow schools to, to be more involved in NIL and potentially going out and helping their athletes find deals, which the, the current guidelines and bylaws don't really allow them to do that. So I would say kind of get ready for that um, and kind of figure out how you're gonna, going to navigate that. Uh, just from a broad 
college athletics perspective, I would say, you know, start thinking about how you're going to operate your athletics program in a world where some of your college athletes will probably be employees and where you're going to have to share some of that revenue uh, that that's coming in with some of the athletes. And so you're going to have to look at your, your financial models and budget and consider lots of other different things. Title nine, um, it's not a good plan to just kind of sit around and number one, hope that those things don't happen. And number two, just kind of let them happen and they get to their inevitable ending point and then you're not ready, which I kind of, I think is something that did happen with NIL. Um, a lot of people weren't ready when July 1, 2021 hit. Um, number one, they were still uncertain if it was, NIL was going to be allowed. And then number two, they thought the NCAA was just going to, to handle it with, with the rules that they were working on. That's Mistake. not the way things worked. And then a lot of schools were kind of caught off guard and weren't ready. Uh, and it'll and be real. It'll be really interesting to see what happens when legislation changes right when the transfer portal hits. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right? That's always They're the way it goes. Looking. They're going to start looking. It's going to and on those financial changes, those head ball coaches, maybe, maybe they won't be, might, might not make quite as much money anymore. <laughs> that seems like a good place where you can slash some budget. It's possible. Yeah. They'll still be doing all right. Well, well it, all right. I, I think, I, I think it's, it's, it's a really like, not, not a warning, but, um, you know, the, the financial implications are not, not nothing, they, they are substantial. If we're going to talk about rev sharing, if we're going to talk about employment, especially if we do that on top of having to, uh, meet back pay requirements. And, you know, you're seeing right now, university of Arizona based on financial modeling have a $240 million shortfall in their budget. The, the first thing they're coming out and saying is, is like, yeah, we're, probably going to have to cut a bunch of sports um and so you know it's not just this like oh the money is just somewhere in the cloud like there's very real <laughs> implications to these if you do not plan well if you do not you know employ one of the most important parts of leadership and that's that's forecasting and future planning uh you know you could get caught in a really bad position as it relates to your ability to support the you know the whole ecosystem so this is not this is not like, oh, like it'll be all right. There's real tangible implications here uh, for sports Mitt, across the board. I know we're, uh, we're, we're getting short on time. I have one. I, I just like to ask these questions. Sorry. Um, <laughs> what school? Okay, let's do this. What okay. is your what power five program, in your opinion, is crushing it in NIL? And then what mid-major school is crushing it in NIL? And maybe like what you what what you really look look to see that they're doing like in the positive direction yeah who, who are your favorites um i think obviously lsu has gotten a lot of uh good pub for what they're doing they obviously have some of the really um high earners in the nil space which i think helps kind of build that narrative for them. So, like they're doing a good job um a school that's close well two schools that are close to home here for me uh, that i'm familiar with uh, i think ku uh, is doing a really good job with uh, their NIL and the amount of support and education they're providing for their athletes. And that shout out, uh, take Gillespie. 
Well, yeah, that's obviously that's right. because of everything. That's everything <laughs> they did. Yeah, we got some big shoes to fill over there uh, yeah. with, with yeah. tape. With you guys stealing tape. <laughs> he came. <laughs> go on record. He came to us. He came to us. <laughs> us. Alright. Uh, okay, who else, Mitt? Sorry. Oh, then going. I was going to say, uh, Missouri is another yeah. one. They have a pretty unique state law. And uh, so they can, they can do some cool stuff with their athletes for that. It's like they're doing a good job. Uh, from a mid-major perspective, um, I think a, a school that probably a lot of people haven't necessarily paid much attention to on the NIL space, I think Colorado State is doing a good job for a G5 school. Mm. Uh, they have a good, good collective, is doing a lot of uh, different things for their athletes with a lot of their different teams. Uh, so that that's one that comes to mind. Um, yeah, those are some that are coming to mind. Sweet. Right now, I'm it's sure cool. I'm missing, I'm missing it's a cool bunch. To, it's cool to hear your perspective because we're just seeing, we're learning a lot about Power 5 and how they kind of look at NIL and then how mid-majors look at NIL. And it's, it's interesting to see a lot of actually the innovation and progressiveness is happening, I think, sometimes in the mid-majors. It's like they're, they're willing to gamble a little more, try some different things out, get unique. And hopefully we can start yeah. to see the long tail effects of that um, as conference realignment happens. So okay, yeah. all my, hard, all my hard, quit, hard hitting questions are, I, I checked all my boxes. So <laughs> I'm, I'm in a good spot. Well, I got, uh, I got one more question for you, Mitt. I can't remember if we asked this last time or not, but uh, it's our favorite question to ask on the pod. Future guests, just prepare your answer now because you know it's coming. Uh, we did ask him this, Adam, but we need to know if it's changed. Yeah. So, um, midwinter today, what is your dream NIL restaurant deal? Who who are you signing a brand deal with today? Oh, and has it man. changed from last year? What did I say last year? I don't remember. I'm trying was... to remember. Did you say? Did did were you Benihana? We had a good stretch of Benihana. I don't think I said Benihana. We had like a four a four street Benihana. <laughs> I forget what you said, Mitch. <laughs> Times have changed. We'll have to we'll have to clip it uh, and, and insert it in here. We got to run the well, tapes. It would have. So if I'm being honest, it would have to be a local place here in Kansas City called the Antler Room, which is my favorite restaurant in Kansas City. So if they would just do a deal where I can just go go there and get free food, <laughs> that's all that I would need. The no cash. I feel no, like no, you said that last year. The, the <laughs> antler room. I mean, it's it, it, there. You go. That's two years in a row. They're missing out on uh, Twitter. Is that what I said last year too? I'm pretty sure you did. I. I it well, sounds familiar. I've never heard of it. Not consistent then. So I honestly, I really mean it. I love it. Well, you heard it here <laughs> twice now. Uh, antler room. <laughs> reach out to Mitt. Twitter nil law super influencer uh irl expert mitt so grateful to have you back on the pod uh fascinating conversation as always we're going to continue to follow you uh like comment retweet quote tweet uh repost on linkedin do all the stuff because we love we love your take so appreciate the time the perspective as always uh, i'm adam there's sean that's steven over there this has been another episode of the nil show we will see you guys next time hi everybody adam cook from campus inc in the nil store want to say real quickly thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey and as a reminder if you ever need any custom merchandise youth jerseys camp t-shirts whatever it may be you can always find us at campus.inc and of course for all your nil needs nil.store we're going to jump into the episode i hope you enjoy